Hi, my name is Ana Margarita Obello, a.k.a. La Chocha, talking directly from Paris. And I actually took a very complicated steps to get to Paris for uh, the retrospective of 25 years of my films at the film festival Cinefable, which is a trivia, uh, the only lesbian feminist uh, film festival in the world. And um, it's for female identifying audience only. And that's how it's been for 36 years. I'm I'm Cuban American. I grew up in Miami. In the tumultuous 70s and 80s of Scarface and Miami Vice was my coming of age. And um, I went to Florida State, which is in North Florida. And, you know, there is, I always like, my biggest dream was to go to college. My second biggest dream was to, you know, live in France and get to know the world. But I was, for some reason, obsessed with like France. Thank you.
one of the reasons why I think you're such an interesting participant in this interview series is because you have, well, obviously your probably your biggest foot is in filmmaking, but your other big foot is in nightlife. And I'd love to hear how you've woven those two things together across the years. Yeah, how they've informed each other, how the participation has coexisted for you and um, how they've been, you know, basically enfor you know, enforced each other. And maybe you can just speak to being like a creature of both of those industries. Said when I got to Paris in 1993, you know, I had been in college and I had, you know, experienced already kind of like the, um, the expansion of the LGBT world because of the AIDS crisis. So, you know, uh, I came out in 1988, went, went to college in 1988, and, you know, the AIDS crisis really forced uh, the issue of we have to be seen. We have to come out of the closet. We have to, you know, unite We and we have to fight. And, you know, it, it was ignored for four years before Ronald Reagan even acknowledged there was a problem. Uh, and so in a way that really led to this kind of new generation of lesbian culture and this new generation of even back then it was gay and lesbian culture, but let's assume the LGBT culture and uh, nightclubbing and the, the, like my gay, you know, club in my university town, it was, you know, a place to meet, you know, and like hook up, I mean, even though I didn't really hook up much, but the music was so important. Um, the nightlife culture as a place to talk to, it, you know, it, the, the, the club served multifunctions. And then I always was, I loved live performance. I loved spoken word. I loved performance art. I loved anything and everything that people could do live. I loved book readings. Like I just really loved that. And oftentimes it was in the, in our gay nightclubs that we could see this. And so when I moved to Paris, I already had in mind, oh, Paris is going to be all these like beautiful, smart, feminist, artistic lesbians. And it's going to be like, you know, like they're going to be like all over the place, you know, and uh, I was really excited. And it was very hard to find the few lesbian places because there was no, no advertisement, no communication. It was very, very private and underground very much to protect the safety of the lesbians and the lesbian places, because it was still very much, you know, lesbian and gay places weren't advertising, uh, you know, until once the, like, because of AIDS and this kind of like massive, like coming out, then you started getting what were called like the gay ghettos and like the gay neighborhoods where, you know, all of a sudden there's like rainbow magnets and rainbow mugs and rainbow t-shirts. And it was all about being out. But when I got to Paris, it was still very much, uh, low key. And, uh, there were the few, you know, lesbian places that, that existed for like 40 years. They were like very expensive, older women sitting down in a little cafe. And it was not what I was looking for specifically. Like I wanted to like dance and see art and like, and, and, you know, and I was very much a music lover. So after like a year and a half of that, and there was even one bar where you had to like, Ring, you couldn't see inside. You had to ring a doorbell. They would open up a little square, look at you, and yeah, you know, make sure, and then come in. You couldn't, you couldn't go if you, you know, they were ma mainly women only. 
And so I, well, it took me a year and a half to find my first lesbian friend, not even a, a girlfriend, but I had a lot of gay guy friends and I would go out with them to all the gay places, which there were a lot and the music was awesome. But um, because I had long hair and very Miami, you know, lesbian thinking she was in the twenties, um, they thought I was a fag hag, you know, uh, and, and would let me in, but they wouldn't let lesbians in if they looked like lesbians. That's that, that was Paris in 93, 94. Um, so finally, you know, I, I met a few, I met uh, a few people, but principally I met this awesome DJ uh, named DJ sex toy. She was mixing at, you know, the raves. She was mixing at the gay men's like, you know, huge big parties. And she was an out lesbian. And one of the, the, one of the only kind of cool lesbian bars did a little party and she DJed and I think she organized it with her partners and it was, she played David Bowie. She played Junior Vasquez, New York house. She played Chicago garage. She played like, she was amazing. And I said, you know what, let's, there's no cool party. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to be a filmmaker, but I'm dying to meet other lesbians who are artistic. I couldn't believe that, that what I was seeing were the only lesbians in Paris, you know, tended to be over, you know, much older and very reserved and conservative. Um, so we did, so we did it and we launched the uh, ladies room, uh, November, 1995. Ladies Room is the name of the party. Yes. Right? So we called it Ladies Room for the double entendre. And, uh, you know, there was a, f a, a few like pillars of what this party was about. First, I wanted it to be from 9 to 2 a.m., 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. I didn't want it to be an all night party. Like I wanted it to be from 9 to 11, which French uh, in general don't like to go out that early. It was the, the, the time where I could show my short films, program performers, you know, like come and, and you know, people could talk because there was a lot of cool lesbians too that didn't like the loud music and dancing part. They prefer the let's all sit and talk and like see a performance, see the films, just be get together. And so, so, so your goal was never to make a strictly club night. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, a couple of years later, when my party, you know, my party immediately be, was like the first time we did ladies room, it was once a month, Wednesday night. And the reason why it was Wednesday night was it was, it's the slowest, worst night in Paris for any establishment. So I would check out in like great neighborhoods, the arty neighborhoods, because the lesbian parties that I had gone to in the past, they were always in like bad neighborhoods outside of Paris, take a bus, like, you know, it was a gauntlet. I said, I want to do it in the cool neighborhood, super safe, super central. And, um, and, uh, I would look at the places that were empty, that didn't have any clientele because a, I said, the night we do the party, I'm at the door outside and it's for women and uh, guy friends admitted if they come with a, a girlfriend, if, if, if a lesbian comes with her guy friend. And if it's two guys, they need to be two, you know, two lesbians. And so I would control, so they could not let their normal clientele in. I was at the door. I promised them that there would be enough women, which the first time we had no idea who, how many, you know, people would come, how many women would come. We would bring our own turntables. Nobody had turntables back then and sound system, amplifier, et cetera, microphone. 
And then there had to be one of my female bartenders at the bar with them so that it wasn't just their, their bar staff either. So I got like one of the most popular lesbian uh, bartenders. And, and so once a month, so it would be me at the door and it would only be inside the bar and cafe would be ladies room people. Our music, nine to 2 a.m., a lesbian bartender serving you and free. And it was a free party. And then another thing that was really big for uh, was how we communicated about the party. Lesbian parties up to then were very secretive. And, you know, the only places you can really drop off flyers, because remember, there's no internet, there's no lesbian hangout, etc., was at the Gay and Lesbian Center. And the Gay and Lesbian Center, nobody went, you know, and, and you know, it'd be the same kind of people that went. So, and also the flyers, I, I tended to see them were like, on just like photocopied on pink paper with two women's symbols scrawled on. And it was like, you know, here's the address and, you know, which is, which is, I love too, but it wasn't like the nineties was the beginning of like the flyer is the window into the soul of your party. It's like the, it's the window dressing. It's like what the, the, the whole character. So, it, so we had no money. But, and we, and so we would photocopy, but we would photocopy on like thicker paper and develop a graphic for a ladies room. And, you know, and I loved doing like little fun, like wordings and stuff like that. And very tongue in cheek. And then I went to the gay radio station, which was 98.2. It's called Radio FG. That's still there. And I said, we're let, you know, we're doing this party and DJ Sexoy and, she had that radio station was mainly run by gay guys, but they were very supportive of lesbians, except they said there were no lesbians trying to do cool, fun, hip parties or things. And so they just didn't know any except for DJ Sex Toy. And she had a her own radio show there from like 2 to 5 p.m. every day. So they said, we're going to give you free advertisement. We're going to produce your commercial for free. And so from the beginning, we had... 98.2 Radio FJ, we had commercials that I would make. It was like, hello, ladies from Paris. For lesbians, you know, like, uh, you know, lesbians and house music, you know. And um, our first party, we had 232 women, people come. The next month, we got, and then, and then, you know, there were so many women, not only get out on the streets for, you know, but to start moving around and, and, and I would pick like the eventually started even getting asked and started doing the party and really popular hip places. So, because lesbians were very either hidden or in their own groove. And so I wanted to like start show, getting lesbians out all over Paris and it worked. And, you know, we, we did a, a ladies room at the palace, at, you know, uh, before it finally closed down. And David Guetta was the director of the club at that time. You know, we did, we did the gay, we did the gay boy bars that were like right in the heart of the Marais, which is the gay neighborhood or was the gay neighborhood that before wouldn't even let lesbians in. And here that we're doing our party. Everybody party, everybody party with me. Everybody party, everybody party with me. 
everybody party, everybody party, everybody party with me. One of the reasons, I, I, something about our story in um, with ladies' room and like lesbian nightclubbing and lesbian organizations is as it got more and more popular and was getting, like I said, written in like technic art, like the art magazines, the hit magazines, the fashion magazines. It was in the Liberation, like every Wednesday was like the nightclubbing column. And, you know, it was like huge to be in that. But what started happening is it started getting known by all audiences, i.e. straight men who were like, oh, these hot, beautiful, sexy, empowered lesbians. I want to go to that party. And so, you know, for me, once I, I got into the Depot, which was created in October 1998, exactly when we thought that no new nightclubs could be started, they took over the Terry Mugler, like four-story building right next to the Pompidou Center. And at first they would close at two o'clock, but eventually they became open 23 you know, hours a day, 3,500 square meters of back room and a club. And uh, I, I picked it as the place to do the fourth anniversary of my party. The third anniversary, sorry, of Lady Room, because we were doing parties. It was like 300, 400 like the bars were small. Like it was, we started expand, doing more parties and, you know, when you do something fun, everybody's like, do it every week. And I never did. But that party at the depot, uh, they wouldn't, it was men only, that club. So they had just started in Paris. It was 3,500 square meters and they wouldn't let women in. And I said, this is perfect because I loved to just go where we weren't expected and just bring lesbian power everywhere. And so the owner said, okay, Wednesday night, that night, okay. He said, I'm not going to pay you anything, but I'm going to give you 5,000 francs to program your party, which is great. I, I think I never made more than like 50 francs, which is like $10. You know, the DJs would mix for like two or three beers, you know, a hundred francs, and they would bring their turntables and everything. So I was like, perfect. We had trapeze artists, fire throw, like it was crazy. And we had over a thousand people come to the party. Now, that was the other thing about Paris is that I didn't know anyone. I never done a party in my life, not even for my birthday. I was quite shy to be perform performative, even though I was very performative with my friends. But I was in France. I said, nobody knows me. Nobody cares. I could be, everyone is just like, oh, la cha -cha. you know, my, I don't know. I've just, I had a permanent euphoria when I moved to Paris and it, it was contagious and I just said yes to everything. So I was, I, I was, at, I had, I wrote in magazines, I wrote in fanzines, I did MC, I did radio, I did parties, I did things. So La Chocha was really like huge. And I said, you know, I'm going to say yes to running this club, to running the depot because I can make money. I can finally have a regular income. I had only been freelance making nothing, you know, and you could live really cheap in Paris back then. And, you know, and I never paid for drinks anywhere. And I went out seven nights a week. A lot of people who had restaurants would come to my parties and I would give them free drinks. And it was the time of free drinks where by the end of the 90s, it was like, here's your 10 free drink tickets for your party of 500 people. And I'm like, 10 tickets is hardly enough for me. I'm going to be here for like eight hours. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, back then it was like, you would just say her, him, him, her, her. 
free drinks and you would get free drinks, you know, and I would eat, eat meals for free. It was great. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I, I took on the, the job and I said, look, I asked for a crazy salary. They gave it to me. Um, I also got um, uh, inscribed in, in France. If you're a cabaret performer or a film director, you both adhere to the same union, which is the art of spectacular. And so I said, you have to pay the dues and inscribe me into that. They did. And I said, you know, and, and I had carte blanche to, to do, to program and do whatever I wanted. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. So it became, uh, so I programmed like the whole week and had like, you know, really amazing like DJs of straight and gay and foreign and domestic to, to, and this is another thing. Straight DJs did not want to mix at the depot because it was like a big, notorious, huge back sex club. And at first, which was idyllic, I hate to say it, but true, you know, straight guys would not come to the depot because they were terrified of it. It was like dark and the depot means the warehouse and it was dark and it was like cruisy. I loved it. So the first few months, it was great because gay guys were coming and enjoying my party and my programming. And I was there from 11 in the afternoon. You know, the place was open 23 hours a day, basically. And people, I, you know, guys would come in in the afternoon, a lot of fashion designers, you know, a lot of out fashion designers, Gautier and Pierre Cardin and, um, you know, Paco Rabanne and Montagna, like a lot of people and a lot of people came, you know, and I had, I hold a lot of secrets about men who, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, French, you know, French notables. And I was a big, um, something else that I didn't realize was, uh, I was the only woman and I was a, a woman of power. Obviously I was a director there and it was like 60 male employees. Plus we would literally do even on a Monday, even on a Tuesday it would be about 800 in the beginning of the week to 2,300 men, uh, a weekend, a day, a day. 1500 almost except for on Wednesday nights which was my party night almost exclusive you know cruising sex club clientele and when I would be you know and so the first few weeks I, I first month or two I would I really like be there every night every day just trying and talking to people and going out to the different bars and gay bars and stuff just trying to understand why gay guys wouldn't go to that club there but I was always there and it and so central in Paris that people would pass by and come talk to me. And so I became this like confidant where the, my male employees and my male clientele, and I'm talking from like famous journalists and writers and that design, like it would, they would confide in me. And it was kind of like started becoming the dark side of gay male nightclubbing and sexuality, this Uber consumption. Um, and then also like the main topics were either like, like loving the, you know, a lot of the gay men loving the free, the sexual freedom and the, you know, facility of the consumption of sexual experience. But at the same time, the isolation, you know, of having more, um, romantic connection, having the fleeting possibilities of relationships, um, and, you know, and also, the the lingering you know fear of 
AIDS and of, you know, sexual transmitted diseases and, you know, and, and violence and stuff like that, that, um, it was a really tough job. And to tell you the truth, and I've never talked about this, but like after about, after three months, we started getting a lot of guys, a lot of hipsters, a lot of, you know, whatever coming to my party. And because the club was a gay, you know, primarily a gay men's club, they, in my other parties up to then, I could control who came into my party. But in this club, I couldn't. And so more and more, we started getting guys coming to the party and hitting on on the girls. And it became a constant stream of the bouncers kicking out guys. You know, the first three months was amazing because, and even like gay guys and, and lesbians were dancing together, a phenomenon in Paris up to then, you know, up to my parties. And, you know, and so, you know, lesbians were like dancing in their bras or taking off their shirts and gay guys were, you know, also not, you know, taking off their shirts and they would like even, they would even kiss or just, you know, gay guys, for some reason, they love to like, oh, you're a lesbian. I'm going to squeeze your boobs or pat your butt or, you know, uh, so there was this kind of decadent, fun, frivolous ambiance. And so a lot of the girls at my party let their, would let, had let their guard down. Rightly so, you know, like, oh, it's, we're just gays and lesbians having a great a ball in a decadent place. And then when the straight guys started coming and lesbians would think they were gay or they were, you know, and then they would try all these things, then it became my worst nightmare. And then the longer it went, you know, was like a police. I, my job was policing where normally I'd be on the mic. I went out, you know, from the beginning to the end, my parties, if you come, at one point or another, I'm going to come and talk with you and check in on you and, you know, have a drink with you or whatever. Like I, I love the parties mainly because I'm listening to my awesome music I love and I can say hi to everyone, you know, like I'm the hostess and I, I, can, I don't have to be afraid or timid or whatever. Like, I'm just like, hi, who are you? Bonsoir, bienvenue, you know. Uh, another thing about the, about that, 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 that birthday party that I did that got me the job and after was I said, you don't let women in. So here's what we're going to do for my party from seven to eight that you have nobody in the back room downstairs. I guess gay guys are taking showers at the time because I mean, the place was packed nonstop. I said, it's going to be only for women downstairs and give them a chance to discover that place. Cause if not, they'll never see it. Secondly, we did, uh, we put it into place for when I started full time. I said, you're going to, um, build on top of, on the nightclub, there was like a mezzanine. And I said, on the mezzanine, which is, you know, the top floor, nobody, you know, nobody really hung out there that much. I said, you're going to build three back rooms for women only. And so three back rooms and then one kind of communal room. And he did. Wednesday of the month, from the beginning to the end, two years, was the Pussy Killers. And that was Sex Toy, DJ Sex Toy and Jennifer Cardini uh, with masks. And I was MC Ranyanya. With a mat, from time to time, I would do uh, toasting, emceeing, toasting, and we had an uh, always had an SM performance that I worked with a collaborator, uh, an SM ma lesbian master from and piercer that she would like program things. Like we put in a bed, like a bed. We went all out. So the last Wednesday was a very like sexual, dark, kind of like New York, Berlin in my mind of like the eighties, you know. Um, a very liquid sky type. Um, so, uh, so I couldn't, uh, 
you know, I couldn't regret that I um, was giving a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunities, a lot of press to a lot of people. Even Bibi was the guardian of the staircase because in the main dance floor, there was the stairs to go down. But a lot of the girls in my party were always trying to get down there. And so we had to hire someone full time. So it was Bibi that I trusted and that would block. So can you imagine non-confrontational Bibi as the guardian? And everybody knew she's she was deadpan. She was sharp. She was a woman of very few words, but you would not get past her.
I want to tell I, my French producer who actually helped me make my first feature film that I finally made in 2014. It's called Who's Afraid of Vagina Wolf? It's very autobiographical, but I call it, it's, but it's not autobiographical really. Uh, it's all the events that happen are not real life events, but I call it auto fiction. So using, you know, a lot of stuff in my story and my, fr so my French producer from Paris, he's been wanting me for 15 years to, make a movie of my story of like the American that comes with like her backpack and $1,200 in 1993. is like, Oh, I want to do film and this. And that by the year 2000, she's like this huge, um, figure and, you know, and, and nightclub, you know, runner and, uh, and all this stuff. But the, the end of the story, if I, if I stopped in 2000 was very dark and bleak because it was really, um, really hard running the, like doing the nightclub and, and, you know, at, at, at a certain point, like, uh, I've never been someone that had gotten into drugs. Like I'm just naturally wild. I mean, naturally slash up and I love alcohol. <laughs> I love drinks, but I was never into drugs. And by the late nineties, and I think it was happening in my friends in New York said the same thing. And in, in Madrid and in Berlin is that it got very, back into drugs, but not ecstasy and fun drugs. Like the mid nineties, it was like all of a sudden there's heroin everywhere.
and I always did films. I, I did, a, you know, with all this nightclubbing, I always did my, my shorts and uh, finally had a chance to do a 10 minute documentary for Canal Plus in 2002 or 2003. Then I did a second documentary on the dinosaur weekend and that went all over the world. Um, and then, you know, and then I did a, a short film with, you know, a famous singer for Canada Plus. Then I was, then things were really rolling and, um, and, you know, I got noticed by a producer in America during a film festival. They loved my work. They said, move to America. We want to make your feature. You know, I wrote, I had, I had a feature film set in Miami and after 16 years in 2008, I left France just for two years to make my movie, to come back. And of course, 2008, 2009, the financial crash, we lose all the financing of the movie that I was going to do. I, and when I moved out of Paris after 16 years, I gave away, sold and threw away almost everything and left with two suitcases and four boxes. I actually lost all my cassettes, my high eights, all my cassettes from 1990 to 19 to 2008 in a big box lost. I don't know where. I, I thought I let, I don't know where. So that was hard too. You wanted me calling me all the time that bondy check out my Chrissy behind it's fine all over the time What else is in the teachers of peaches? Like sex on the beaches on uh, what huh right Fuck the pain away. Fuck the 
And I'm going to keep doing what I do. And I, I find, you know, like-minded people everywhere. Um, you know, no matter how hard things can get at times with, you know, you know, even the infighting in the LGBT world and in feminism and in nightlife and in music and in all that, you know, you'll always, if you observe, there's, you know, you always find like-minded people and like your own kind of global tribe, um, you know, and focusing on, uh, the good things and the people that are, you know, that you respect and respect you rather than uh, that's something I learned big time because I, I really was somebody that thought I could convince anybody, you know, to go to the light. Um, and that was my own interpretation of everything I just said. And, and, you know, obviously you can't, um, and, you know, sometimes being with people that you're trying to convince it brings you down way too much. It's, you know, too much than, um, than on the contrary, doing what you want to do, doing it with like-minded people. I love collaborative filmmaking. I love collaborative parties. I love collaboration in general. And, um, and so I'm excited for the next 50 years. My grandmother passed away at 101 and her grandmother at 106. So, I, I, you know, there's a chance I might be here for another 50 years if, if the planet will let, let us. Forget your face Captured in stained glass Young lives long since past Statues of lovers Every place I went all across the continent To relieve this restless love Icons of glory smashed by 
by the bombs from above So we must love While these moments are still called today Take part in the pain of this passion play Stretching all youth as we must Until we are ashes to dust Until time makes history no medium for life in the midst of the rubble I felt a sense of rebirth in a dusty cathedral the living God called and I prayed for my life here on earth love while these moments are still called today take part in the pain of this passion play stretching all youth as we must until we are ashes to dust until time